I remember a game we used to play in elementary school. It didn't have a name, but boy, was it competitive. You know, right before lunch, we would all uh, get ready to line up to go to lunch so that we could eat real quick and get to recess. And so every one of us would begin with about a couple minutes left in class, begin to watch the clock. As that second hand went slowly around, we would watch it spin and finally spin to the final 30 seconds. Some of us would already have our homework put away. Others of us would keep working right to the end. I'll confess that wasn't me. But the truth of the matter was, as quickly as uh, that buzzer rang or the teacher would say, hey, let's, let's go to lunch, we'd all run to the side right in front of our door and we'd all try and line up. And oftentimes, because we wanted to get there as quickly as we could, we would fight towards the front, do everything we could to get there as quickly as possible. It was a game for us as kids, but I think it's a pattern that we learn as we're growing older, isn't it? It's the pattern of uh, trying to get ahead, getting a front in front of everyone else. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and so somehow as young children, we begin to fight for our opportunity to be to the front. It reminds me of this, this phrase that Jesus used to always say over and over and over. But many of you who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. John 9, 30. But I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And I think many of us battle this right now more than anything, that as we've pulled back a little bit in our lives, we wrestle with uh, sometimes the drive of our own life, our own competitiveness. Uh, we, we look back on some of the things that we fought for, even made priority that really weren't priority at all. And Jesus uses that phrase to help us understand that there are, there are people in this world that think they have everything that are in the front of the line when maybe they don't have anything at all. And there are those that feel like they don't have anything at all who really have everything they need. And that's found in their relationship with God. I want you to follow along with us today, wherever you're joining us from, whether you've been a part of First Christian Church for years, or whether this is the first moment that you've had a chance to join us and engage with us and be a part of us uh, on our Sunday morning experience. For your, for your benefit, we actually have a, a website that we'd love for you to go to, fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday. And while we're there, there are some resources, some message notes that you can actually follow along and engage. Uh, some people, as they're watching it, they're actually pulling open their phone as well and following along with the notes and engaging in the conversation and then making decisions from there as well. But today we want to talk about something that I think uh, is important to us. Is we've been unpacking this idea of chasing carrots. We have chased hope. We've chased Jesus. We've chased comparison. We've chased a lot of things that we've had to confront and address to really get down to the, to the boiling point, the, the core of where our life is. And today we get to look at that as we talk about pride. Now, oftentimes when we talk about pride, it can sometimes be a good thing and it can sometimes be a bad thing. And I think for many of us, when we think of the word pride and the pride that we have as people, I think we think of the word prideful, right? To be full of pride. We would define prideful this way. It's to view life through oneself. Prideful. To view life through oneself. Think about that for a moment. That view is about my will, my way, my wants. 
And a prideful life assumes that we know everything that's best for us. We have a plan, we have a direction, and when things go awry in our life, we start feeling like it's an injustice, an affront against us. But what does it mean to have pride? And as a Christ follower, is there an appropriate way to have pride? Where should it be placed? When we talk about pride in that sense, we talk about uh, to view life through the surrender of oneself. Meaning as a follower of Jesus, as a Christ follower, it's about God's will and God's way and God's wants for my life. With this perspective, a, a life full of pride or a life of pride understands that we have limitations in this world. And we understand that there's a place and a purpose for our lives in the view of how God's will, God's way, and God's wants can play out of our life. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. And if you want to go there to Mark chapter 10, you can also uh, flip back one more book in the New Testament to John and stick your finger in John 1 to hold that place there. Mark chapter 10 uh, is uh, an account of a, a young man who's walked with Jesus. And he begins to talk about the conversation of followers who have seen an eyewitness account of Jesus, how they heard what he taught, how they listened to, to what he had to say as they begin to live out the life and the values that he spoke of when he talked about a new kingdom. He actually writes the book of John, uh, or the young man named John in this passage actually writes the book of John that we'll be reading in a moment. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Uh, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, meaning Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That should give us a red flag on some level, right? They've come to Jesus and they say, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. What do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus asks. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Now, in the context of Mark 10, what's been happening is Jesus has been teaching uh, across to a large group of people, and he's been talking about this kingdom that is coming to reality. It's got values about relationship and love and how, how marriage should play out. And so as Jesus is talking about the households and how they should look and what those lives should be built on and the, the foundation by which they should live their lives— these two young men are a group of other followers that are following very closely with Jesus. And James and John are brothers. They're known as the sons of Zebedee. Their nickname was the sons of thunder. They, they, were, they were kind of wild men. They were fishermen, big, burly, strapping men who had left their boats, left their entire livelihood, and they began to follow Jesus. But in the midst of this, they decide they want to ask a question. They want to ask the question, hey, when you get to your kingdom, when you get to glory, can one of us be on your right and one of us be on your left? Now, here's what I love in Scripture. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the account of Jesus' life, uh, he begins to tell this story, and he gives us a caveat that says, actually, it was his mother that put them up to this. I mean, it's bad enough that these two guys step up to Jesus and say, hey, can we sit on your right and on your left? But it's even worse to know that their mom stepped up to Jesus to say, come on, these are my boys. You can imagine. 
You can imagine what happens because the pride begins to well up. It begins to become awkward. And even as a well-intended parent, sometimes when we look back on moments like those and how our children react, we have to admit, we may be encouraged their ego. But here's what happens. These guys are good men. They're godly men. They're following after Jesus. But to ask this opportunity to sit at the right and left of Jesus, to be in positions of power and authority is just wrong. You can follow after God. You can do godly things. You can go to church on a regular basis. But if our motives are for ourselves, for our glory, for our honor, we're wrong. And we need to realize that when we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus for his namesake, for his honor, for his glory. So here's what happens is Jesus begins to say, hey, uh, can, you, can you take this responsibility on yourself? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going through? Meaning, can you endure and live out the calling that's been put on my life? And Jesus says, sure, you can live this responsibility. Sure, you can take on this will and this action, but you cannot play the role that I've been pl- asked to play. Mark four, 10 verse 40 says it this way. But to sit... At my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. Jesus is saying this, hey, God the Father has chosen who sits where. And my role, meaning Jesus, is to live in an obedient example to the will of the Father so that all may know God's love. In other words, only God can set those things into motion Now, you can imagine the reaction of what happens uh, between the apostles, between the disciples. Literally, they're upset. They're indignant. Who are these guys? How could they do this? Who would even think about asking Jesus this question? And what begins to happen is this murmuring. The entire crew of followers after Jesus begin to speak to one another, and they begin begin to fight amongst themselves. So Jesus has a teachable moment where he comes back to the crew, and he says, guys, let's talk about this for a moment. You've heard it said that there are those who don't know God and the way they lead their powers of position, the way they oversee people, it's not the way that we do it. Look at what he says in verse 43, excuse me. Not so with you instead. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now get this. Jesus, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who hung hung the moon and the stars, the one who has all power and authority given to him by God is setting an example to say, I'm here to serve. My leadership is, is through serving. My leadership is through humbling myself. My leadership is obeying the will of the Father. And you do too, if you're following after me. It's a a stark contrast to the prideful life. And what we begin to learn is this. A life of self assumes what we deserve. Have you been there? You ever been caught in a moment, even a good moment, where you've kind of personally turned it in about you? And the assumptions, the expectations begin to compound on one another. 
Think about it like this. I'm not as bad as insert whoever's name you want, but I don't deserve a life like this. Or I'm living the life that God wants me to live. I shouldn't have to put up with this kind of stuff or have this outcome. Or I'm doing the best in my job that I can possibly do. I should have that role. We get caught up in these moments and these ideas that we deserve so much and we miss out on how God may be using us, how God may be developing us, how God may be training us and shaping us so that his will and his glory can be even greater in our lives. And I know, I know that I've been prideful. And I know when it comes to things like what I deserve or how I want my family or my life or my job to go, there have been moments that I have thought more about me than I have thought about what God wants for me. And those have been difficult times to learn. But when I have learned that it's about him and not me, God grows me, develops me into the person that I know he's asked me to be. I mean, think about it right now. There are some incredibly difficult seasons for all of us right now. And and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can make the focus about us instead of what God might be able to do in this moment. I mean, I think about my friends who are small business owners who are struggling, trying to wrestle with how not only they're going to keep their business open, but care for the people that work with them. I think of first responders who are standing in harm's way, putting their health at risk. I think about families who are trying to manage their everyday rhythm of life, of of being able to teach their kids, keep their education up, and be able to manage their own jobs while they work from home. I think about students who feel like God just took their life and dumped it upside down. I think about all of us, all of us, when our emotions and expectations get the best of us and our focus shifts off of who God has called us to be and what God may want us to do, and we make it about what we deserve or what we want. So maybe we should look at a different example. What's it look like to to live a life that's not focused on oneself, but is focused on the surrender that God calls us to? Because see, when we surrender our lives to God, our lives are better. They're, They're deeper. They're more full. They are lived for a purpose beyond just this moment. I want to introduce you to uh, a different John. The first John in Mark that's talked about, he's called John the Beloved. He actually becomes a very close friend of Jesus, but we've just looked at a snapshot of his life where he he wasn't exactly a, a shining example. We want to look at another man named that they call him John the Baptizer because in scripture, he's one that is baptizing individuals uh, to a life of repentance and allegiance towards God. And so in the book of John, he gets introduced. John, the one who is the beloved, actually writes the gospel of John, but he's talking about a John the Baptizer. Here's what it says, starting in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, meaning John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. 
What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am a voice. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I love this testimony of John the baptizer because literally what he's saying is, hey, this is what my role really is, and it's to announce the one who's coming to save the world. He's speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about the one who will give his life, who will die his death on a cross, who will make the payment for our sins, who gives us life everlasting. His full role is to announce the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus himself. But here's what's interesting. John the baptizer had gathered a crowd. There are people who are following after him. There are people who are being obedient to baptism and surrendering their life before God. He's got a crowd. Literally, they send all these religious leaders to go talk to him. There's over 25 that have come to ask him. So there is a crowd saying, who are you? And they're longing to follow after him. They're longing to be a part of what he's doing. But John the Baptist doesn't want to have anything to do with it. John the Baptist wants to say, that's, that's not who I am. That's not what my life is about. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to announce the way to serve and give my life to prepare so that the way of Jesus can be completely seen. You see the contrasting lives of what we've going, got going on between these two Johns? The religious leaders begin to press into him and say, well, then you must be a prophet. You must be Elijah. They begin to list off the religious leaders of their legacy, that he's coming as a a representation of them. And he's like, that's not me. I know who they are, but that's not me. I know who you're looking for, but that's not me. I know that you're asking this, but that's not who I am. My role is to prepare the way for Jesus. John clarifies that what he's here to do is to be the one to baptize them, to lead them to a point of repentance so that all may be ready to follow after Jesus. Look what he says in verse 27. He, speaking of Jesus, is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You understand what he's saying there? (laughs) He's saying that Jesus is so much greater than me that I can't even untie his shoes. Not tie his shoes, but I can't even untie his shoes. You think about that for a moment in even our modern context. Maybe there's a sports figure, an athlete, a celebrity, somebody that you just think is so untouchable and you just, you have so much admiration for them. John the Baptist is saying, hey, there's no doubt I have a place. There's no doubt I have a following. There's no doubt that people are hearing my words as we're speaking about God, but my life is to be laid down and poured out for Jesus so that he can be known. And that's, that's what our lives should be like. See, a life of surrender understands who we are not. We understand that we're not, we're not Jesus. We're not God. We're not the ruler of the universe. We are a person who has purpose and meaning and a reason to live, but it is fulfilled when we surrender our life fully to Jesus. Let me, let me just give you some clarity about the differences between these two Johns. The tale of two Johns goes something like this. John, the beloved, he, he followed after Jesus, meaning Jesus came to him and then he began to follow. He asked to take a position of influence, of power and authority. He 
assumed this was his right. If I'm doing what God wants me to do, then I should be able to ask for this. And he got caught in a moment of self. His way, his will. But look how John the baptizer lives out his life. He's about announcing the way of Jesus. He takes a posture of humility, of service. He accepted his role before God and others, and he lived a life of surrender. Clearly in the two lives, one tries to take the focus on himself, and the other clearly points it directly to God. Who do you most identify with in this conversation? You know what's intriguing with me about these two stories is there's one word that is actually played out in both passages that we didn't really unpack. It's this word baptism. In one context, the baptism discussion is about, can you take on the life? Can you plunge your life into my will and my way to live out my purpose? In the other, the picture of baptism is one about the actual act to surrender your life back to God. And it's a picture of repentance, of turning from your life to following after God. It's a picture of allegiance. But this picture of baptism is a reminder for all of us. As we begin to follow after Jesus to accept God, it's this picture of humility that it is no longer my will, no longer my way, but my trust is in Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection. He's the one that can forgive my past. He's the one that can forgive my my wounds. He's the one that can bring healing to my relationships. And so we begin to understand that when we surrender our life to God, that following Jesus means unfollowing ourselves. Following Jesus means unfollowing ourselves. And maybe this is the most difficult piece, is that we live a life that more often than not is focused on ourselves. And the only way to truly follow after Jesus is to surrender our life to him. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we unfollow, uh, how do we follow Jesus and unfollow ourselves? There's a couple passages I just want to give you real quickly as we begin to wind down in this conversation. It's this. We, we start to unfollow ourselves and follow after Jesus when first and foremost, we trust the work of Jesus. We trust the work of Jesus. Listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts of the Lord. Here's what, here's what the writer is trying to say. The things that humble us, the things that are often seen as detestable and not things that give power or glory or wealth, God chose the more humble things to raise up Jesus and to transform us. And in Jesus's humility, in his sacrifice, he took on our payment of sin. He took on our death so that we may have new life. And so when we boast, 
whether it's of our everyday life or our talents or our abilities, what we boast in is the work of God working through us. Sure, we recognize what God is doing. Sure, we recognize that our life is a part of it, but we boast about the work of God and that we live the way we live because God has made a way for us. The second is this, to test our actions. Galatians uh, chapter 6 talking about the context of those of us that are caught in our, our brokenness and even our sin, he says this, each one of us should test our own actions. Then they can take pride or they can boast in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each one should carry their own load. Uh, the writer of this passage is saying, in reflection of trusting Jesus, that we have a responsibility with our lives than to surrender before God so that he, he can be exalted and we can stand in the merit of knowing that we have been obedient. We have been humble. We have followed after him. So let me ask you, have you accepted Jesus into your life? I think there are a lot of us that say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. And, 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 and so because of that, we, we know that because we've believed in the work of Jesus and we've confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that the gift of salvation is given to us. But I wrestle with, have we, have we accepted him and humbled ourselves in baptism? You know, even in this season, we forget the baptistries are still open here. People can surrender their lives to, in baptism to surrender and say, my old way is done and my new life is before me. My life for self is now surrendered. I'm living to be a reflection of God's will and God's way in this earth. If you've never made this decision, if you've never had a chance to respond to God, let me, let me ask you to do this. Can you do this? I want to give you a number. Can you text the word hello? Just the word hello to 217-334-4055. And if you need to take a next step in your faith, if you need to follow in obedience after God, you have this time to reevaluate. You have this time to reconsider. You have this time to make decisions. What if this is the time to step forward in obedience and be baptized in him? Let us no longer battle ourselves, but let us surrender our lives to Jesus. Let's pray. God, right now, there are many of us that uh, we're evaluating just what we've made this season about. And God, we have moments of failure and brokenness, but God, today we draw a line in the sand and we say, God, we want to live for you. So by the power of your spirit, would you awaken us to where we have been wrong and empower us to live rightly before you and others? God, there are some of us that are wrestling with, should I respond? The answer is yes. If there's a tug on our heart, if there's a thought in our mind, God, may today be the day that we accept you. May today be the day that we surrender our lives in baptism and set up a conversation, set up the time to do that. May today be the day that we commit to be a part of a group to serve. But in all these things, God, we offer our life to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm reminded of the words of John the Baptist when he said that I'm not even worthy to unstrap or untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. I mean, how can we as Christians begin to revere God in this same way? 
Or how can we begin to view ourselves in that same way compared to who Jesus is? I mean, Jesus is our ultimate authority of humility. So when we talk about humility, Jesus is the one that we wanna look to. Jesus laid his life on the line. He died for us on the cross and not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but yet he did it while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. So what we need when we think about humility is more of Jesus. We need more of Jesus and less of ourselves. We need more of who God promises us that we can be in him and less of who we were, who, less of who we were in our past and more of who Jesus is calling us to be. And this is the truth that we're gonna continue to respond to this morning. So here at first, we respond in a few different ways. The first of these ways is through prayer. We believe that God is still speaking. We believe that God is speaking to all of us. So we, we talk to God through prayer. So if you're not familiar with what prayer is, or if you want help with prayer, you want our staff or our church to be praying for you, then we wanna encourage you to reach out to us. And you can do that by just texting the, the word hello to the number 217-334-4055. And we will reach back out to you and uh, walk you through that process of what it means to pray, how to pray, and how we can follow up with you. Another way that we believe that we can respond is through generosity. God is not only speaking, but he is alive and moving in our community. And we believe that he is doing that through our generosity. God can be seen all over our community through the generosity of the churches that are coming together through this time. So if you wanna be a part of that movement, a part of that generosity movement, then you can do that through our Give app. We encourage you to do so by using our Give app, which is G-Y-V-E. You can set up your, your gift through generosity today. Another way we respond is in communion. Every week we celebrate communion because every day we need the resurrection and the life of Jesus. We celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus every single week by taking communion. So earlier in the service, we asked that you guys would grab coffee and donut or cracker and juice or something to celebrate communion with us. So right now, if you wanna grab that, we're gonna take communion together. So first we'll take the cracker, or the donut, whatever you have, and we're just gonna say that, Jesus, this is your body that was broken. We take it and we eat. And then we take our juice and we say, Jesus, this is your blood that was spilled on the cross. We take it and drink. I'm just gonna pray for us and then we're gonna continue to worship. God, thank you so much for the work that you are doing in our lives and in our community. We thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. God, first and foremost, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts to restore us and bring us closer to you. I pray that you would break down the pride that is building in all of us to allow us to see who we are compared to you, compared to your glory, compared to your holiness. God, we love you. We love Jesus and I pray that you would bring us closer and closer to him to look more and more like who Jesus has called us to be. It's in your glorious name we pray, amen. And I pray that you would join us as we continue to respond and worship this morning.